Welcome to the Vital Voices podcast, where women leaders and allies in the fight for gender equality talk about their journeys, their drive, and how we can all support a gender equal future. I'm your host, Elise Nelson. I'm thrilled to be in New York this week for the We Empower Global Challenge. For those of you not familiar with the We Empower Challenge, it is a perfect example of UN Sustainable Development Goal number 17, Partnership. We've brought together incredible partners from the private sector, academic institutions, from Oxford University to Arizona State University, uh, corporations like P&G and Bank of America, people who all come together around wanting to advance goal five and the women-related targets to the SDGs. What the program is, for those of you who don't know, we're in our second cohort, uh, our second competition, We search the world for women who are business owners, but really who lead social enterprises. And through their businesses, they are working to achieve one or more of the 17 UN Sustainable Development Goals. We wanted to send the message with this program that it's not just about big business or big government or international institutions that are needed to see the kind of world that we want to see and the goals that we put in place around the UN SDGs for 2030. It's about all of us. And women-owned businesses are the most innovative, creative, imaginative people on the planet. Uh, So I am so thrilled today to be joined by one of our We Empower honorees, Leah Lizarondo. Welcome, Leah. happy to be here, Elise. Thank you for having me. So the other night, I watched you and the other four fellows that have come from all over the world. You, of course... Didn't come from quite as far. You're based well, in Pittsburgh, right? Yes. But depends on what time frame. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but when I sat there listening to your pitches mm-hmm. at the pitch night we do in partnership with Diane Ball and Furstenberg and Fast Company and all the great partners involved in this, I was so compelled by the story of how you began your organization, uh, 412 Food Rescue. Uh, it's such a simple concept, but yet, it's, it's, it's astounding its impact. So talk a little bit about uh, how you began your company. I know it traces back to your childhood in the Philippines. So talk a bit about that. Yeah. So it's, you know, it, um, Monday I shared kind of the, a condensed version of the journey. And really it started um, when I was 16, like I shared. And, you know, seeing this National Geographic with New York City in it. And I was growing up in the Philippines and you know, look, looking at something that looked like such a different city, it was immensely diverse, you know, and then the photographs as National Geographic always does, you know, makes the city kind of come alive. And I kind of wanted to be part of that energy and, and then kind of forgot about it for a little while until after graduation from college and, it kind of renewed and I graduated from business school and, you know, was looking at two companies actually. And one of them was based in New York city, and that's where I decided I would work because it was in New York city. Hmm. And truly that was the catalyst kind of that, that reignited that passion to go back to New York. And a decade later from that time in when I was 16, I actually did it. I left and I didn't have any family here and left everything I knew and just needed to do this one thing that I set out to do when I was 16. Um, and then I think what was 
you know, the beginning, the true beginning of the journey was when kind of that dream that I saw when I was 16 started becoming, you know, I, I started to understand the reality that was not in the magazine and seeing the dichotomy, you know, between, um, different people in New York City. There were the people who, you know, we see in movies, you know, Bright Lights, Big City. I love that book, love the movie, um, Sex in the City, you know, all of these things that that were New York. But then there's another side of New York where there's extreme poverty. And and that reminded me of of, you know, where I grew up, this dichotomy. And then I realized that the two places that I thought were so different at its core was not different at all. And that was a big wake up call for me. And I realized that, you know, I really wanted to understand how I could make a difference. And I didn't articulate it to myself that way at that time. Um, but I knew I wanted something more. And, and, you know, it was many years later after Carnegie Mellon moving to Pittsburgh that I founded Fort Worth to Food Rescue. Mm. Tell us a bit about it. I know you're dealing with the issue of food insecurity. Mm -hmm. And probably most people listening don't have a grasp on how pervasive that is, particularly here in the United States. We have plenty of food, right? it seems, Mm -hmm. but so much of it goes to waste. And anyone who's worked in a grocery store or restaurant would certainly be aware of that. Talk about your company, how you founded it, and and how you are directly addressing that, but also working on sustainability. It's not good for the planet to be growing food, cooking food, and wasting food. Yes. So um, the genesis for 412 Food Rescue was in 2012 when I read a National Resources Defense Council report. And it's actually their most downloaded report ever. And it's a a report about food waste. And the report, basically the shocker in the report was that it showed that we were wasting 40% of our food supply. Well, almost half. 40%. Yes, I think just every, throwing it away. Just throwing it away. I think all of us have an idea that we are wasting some food. You know, our parents have been telling us to you know eat everything in your plate. There's a hungry child in you know some a faraway place, um, and we see you know waste at bakeries, but we really have no clue how much this waste is. And for me to see forty percent, and then remembering where I came from, remembering what I know, what I saw in New York, what I saw in, you know, that there is food insecurity. It's a big disconnect. And it just felt so, you know, I was just, at, it, it just couldn't accept it. And why, and then we, you know, and the conversations that I've heard around, you know, feeding the 10 billion has always been around how do we make more food? And hmm. I just couldn't understand why the conversation is around that when we have enough food to feed everyone who is food insecure four times over. Whoa. Hmm. And so it's a, it's, it's a distribution efficiency problem that, you know, was really interesting to me. And so I set out to study this and where we can make a difference um, so, you know, just a few statistics for those who are listening, you know, food waste in the United States is about 62.5 million tons. We have Whoa. no clue what that means. Um, uh, but it's equivalent to, you know, we spend, um, about 3% of our GDP on food we will never eat. Wow. 20% of land and almost 20% of water go to food we will never eat. What? 
Wow. Yes. So there's all of these resources that go into production. Then at the end of life, which is a landfill, mm. it becomes one of the largest causes of greenhouse gas emissions. So it's a double hit on climate, on our environment, by wasting resources, by transporting this food, and then at landfill. So it's, it's such an enormous problem. And um, one of the things that I realized was, you know, while we canceled all of it, there is a particular segment in the market, which is the retail segment, you know, technically before the food gets to our homes, the restaurants, the grocery stores, our workplaces even. Um, that food cannot be collected using any traditional means that we have, which is, um, I would say, uh, when we talk about, you know, food banking, you know, or trucks and warehouses, the food in this sector is so small in quantity at each instance, and it's so unpredictable and it needs to be consumed right away. Think of, um, a prepared sandwich at, I don't know, one of your cafes that you go to a Starbucks, mm -hmm. you know, that needs to be consumed tomorrow. It can't be consumed next week. So you can't truck in, warehouse it, and store it and distribute it later. Mm. And um, as with many solutions, um, and this is one of the nice snippets I've heard so far at We Empower Week, you know, um, it's, it's not, it, the ideas are great, but it's the solutions that make, make things happen. And so, mm. you know, the idea behind 412 Food Rescue exists. You know, we used, you know, ride sharing systems like Uber and Lyft and all of the other ones, DoorDash, that use our own cars to move things around, existing assets. Mm. We don't have to get new assets. These assets exist. Um, the other thing that exists is our time. And so we combined this two and we said, okay, if we, you know, can identify sources of food and where to bring it versus you know, a grocery store and a charity, like we just need someone to transport that food. And so we created an app that works in the same way as Uber and mobilize drivers to transport wow. this food. Wow. And what's the success rate? I mean, do people say, yeah, I'll come, I'll, I'll do that. Or do they respond to the call? I mean, how, what, what does the success rate look like? Because it's so all I'm going, volunteers, yes, right? Yes, it's all volunteers. As I said in my talk, you know, the best part about it is that it's all volunteers. So I'm going to kind of recite some of the statistics that are for me, you know, it, it surprised even me. So um, in Pittsburgh, where we piloted, we are in five cities now. We were um, founded in Pittsburgh. We're in mm -hmm. Pittsburgh, um, San Francisco, Philadelphia, Cleveland, and Northern Virginia. Um, these drivers have recovered over 7 million meals and um, from 600 grocery stores and restaurants and delivered Just them. in Pittsburgh. This is um, the five cities. In the five cities. To set okay. most of it in Pittsburgh. And because we just started expanding to other cities last year um, and delivered it to about 700 NGOs. There's about 8,000 people who have downloaded and registered on our app. And the way we inform people of rescues is via push notification. So these 8,000 people receive these push notifications that say, hey, we need you right now to go to grocery store A and, you know, and drop off five boxes of fruits and vegetables to NGO B. Um, and in the, the average um, time from the time we push to the time our rescue is accepted is about six minutes. 
whoa. And it's, it could be as quick as, you know, a minute or 30 seconds. Um, and the, the response rate has been 99%. We miss only 1% of our rescues. And some of the most popular food delivery apps out there um, have about a 95% success rate. Wow. So it's an extremely reliable on-demand transport network. Tell me about these volunteers. They, they sound like superheroes. You were they describing are. Their we call them Yes, we <laughs> call them food rescue heroes because it's like a bat signal, you know, on their phone. And then they just do it. But I remember the first time we launched the app and, you know, I was doing the posting on our, um, on our platform from my laptop. And I remember the, the rescue disappearing, which means someone took it. And I looked at who took it and I'm like, I don't know this person. Somewhere out there, some person responded, and I don't know who it is, you know. And it's, mm. it's all of these, it's 8,000 strangers. Yeah. I think what is to me so astounding about what you're doing is it's all about trust. It's all about trust and it's all about engagement. I think one of the things that I'm most passionate about is if we want to achieve the SDGs. We have to engage everyone to do it. It cannot be, you know, a top-down, only the corporations, only global leaders. We have to engage citizens. And if we don't find a way to effectively create a movement behind these goals, we won't achieve them. We just can't. And that's core to this technology is this engagement and participation. Mm, Wow. I'm just, I'm, I'm in awe of you and what you've created. And, you know, as I said before, I mean, it's so simple, but yet it has such an impact um, and such a beautiful message. And I think you're also educating people yes. about the challenges. Exactly. You know, because I think most of us, you know, you, you think about climate change and you think, okay, well, I can do my small part. But right. Is everyone else going to do their part? Exactly. And I think showing people, well, it's just these small fixes. And if we, if we all work together... We can do it. Um, yeah. So fascinating. Talk a little bit about your leadership style. Mm-hmm. Um, what, I, what I find so fascinating is I have the great opportunity to meet so many women leaders who maybe were doing, had a different career path. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, something pulled them. You know, there was this fire in their belly, really from an experience. Mm-hmm. And that led them to take action, to step up and say, I'm going to make a choice to to change my life, to follow this passion to wherever it might lead and to really give back. I mean, you, you have your part NGO, part business, mm-hmm. and you're a hybrid model, which is fascinating. But I mean, you, you had a different career and mm-hmm. you decided to do this. And I think it's, it's the real mark of a leader to, to follow that intuition, that driving force that says, I, I want to make the world a better place. I don't just want to have a business that's making money. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to make the world a better place. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of things that catalyze that. The first is I'm a mom. And, you know, when I, when I had children, my compass really changed. You know, how I view the world, what's important to me, how I prioritize, what I want the future to look like. I don't think I even thought that much about the future before I had kids. Um, and that, that redirection in, in my own personal compass really helped me make the choices that I make. 
and it's it's fairly easy for me to say that you know I want to make sure that I'm working towards a world for them not only now providing for them but also for their future and this is for me that the second is that you know when I tell people about what we do one of the first reactions I get, and this is across the board, is, oh, I've been thinking of that. Oh, that makes total sense. Or especially people who work in food service would be, oh, I hated being in the last shift and I had to throw out the bread or the sandwiches and I really just wanted to give it away. And it's everyone has this, you know, intent and this drive and this understanding of the problem. And it was a little frustrating for me to not have an option. And I said, you know, if I don't do it, who's going to do it? Mm. And it was really just that. And, and it just from that point on, you know, had a life of its own. Wow. Wow. How do you balance it all? Well, I do, three kids. I do, I am extremely <laughs> lucky. I have a village, um, yeah. you know, my husband helps out. We don't take trips at the same time. I think a lot of the juggling that, you know, working moms do, I do as well. But I have the extra benefit of having my mother live with us six months of the year and mm. six months of the year, I'm a little less stressed out. <laughs> and then, you know, and then winter comes and she goes to a warmer climate and it's, you know, mm. gets a little harder, but you go through it. Yeah. I would imagine that your kids are starting to understand what you do. They're getting to the age. I would imagine that they, they get it. Are they involved <laughs> at all in the business? Well, a little bit. So when they were, when I was just starting out and I was actually doing a lot of the rescues, they would come with me and they would totally see it. They would see me hauling cases of tomatoes or having the car smell like broccoli because I just hauled broccoli, <laughs> you know, and I would take pictures of them with the food in the back of the car. Um, and now, you know, I have a 14 year old who I pay to, you know, create a database for me or something. And so just have him involved here and there. Um, but um, Leah, thank you so much for joining us and for your incredible work. We could not be more honored to welcome you into the Vital Voices Network this week um, at the Women Power Challenge. So congratulations. I think the honor is mine to be among these women has been quite the inspiration and learning experience and I cannot wait and I cannot imagine how much just growth I will get just from just one week. And I want to thank Vital Voices for the opportunity. It's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. You're part of Vital Voices now. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thanks, Elise. Thanks for listening to the Vital Voices podcast. If you've enjoyed what you heard today, consider supporting us so that we can continue to use our platform to empower global women leaders and their allies. You can donate today by texting V-I-T-A-L, that's VITAL, to 41444. That's VITAL to 41444. We'll see you next time. Thanks again for tuning in.